Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. I'm going to be straight up with you. It's the most basic sermon anybody could ever preach. John 3.16. Are you ready for it? All right, let's go. I just had to shift you there a little bit. Get your attention on something else. Week three, this one's called Lift It Up. Lift It Up. And this is in this broken series, the Preparing for Easter, the Lenten series. And this is the big idea. Sin has infected the world, and Jesus alone is the remedy. I told you, it's the most simple sermon ever preached. But it is the most powerful and profound sermon that has been preached throughout the millennia that God is the answer. And it even goes, it even goes back before Christ, and then we're going to go into that. And it's pretty interesting. This idea that God is the answer, that Christ is the answer, is not just a New Testament concept. The most well-known scripture verse in all the Bible is John 3.16. This is the one that you see at the ball games in the background. That used to be more popular now. It's not as popular. I haven't seen it as much lately. Tim Tebow used to wear it on his eye black. You know, these types of things. But it's interesting to note that John 3, 16 and 17 are sandwiched between two very, inter- uh, very interesting object lessons in the book, from the book of Numbers. They're sandwiched right in there. So open your Bible to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, you're like, I already know this passage. I can just quote it. Open your Bible. And we're going to start in verse 14. Because this is the object lesson that precedes and comes after John 3, 16 and 17. And it says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Just so you know, you'll see it in red letters in your Bible if you have a red letter edition. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 16. For God loved the world in this way. Think about that. Think about that. If you use the preceding passages, it talks about how the serpent was lifted up so that anybody who believed on it would be saved. And he goes, and God loved the world in this way. This is how God loved the world. The same way as that uh, that serpent in the wilderness. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is available to those who call on Jesus for forgiveness. But for that forgiveness to be possible, God's just standards must be met. This is not a willy-nilly type of thing where God can just throw things around. God is completely and utterly holy and just. So his just standards must be met. Human beings, in and of themselves, cannot match up to what God expects. 
period. Just hard stop. You can't, you can't do it. So get over it. There's no way you're going to be able to meet up to God's standards. Just accept it and move on. Stop trying so hard. As a result, Jesus comes to provide a remedy for the sins that plague all of humanity and creation at large. John 3, 14 through 16 explains the demands and fulfillment. So this story about the, the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness is found in Numbers chapter 21, if you're interested in looking at that later. And it records the Israelites uh, escaping physical death from a plague of serpents. Now, if anybody knows me at all, they know that even the sight of a snake freaks me out. Has anybody ever had a snake as a pet? Get out. You and I, we do not jive. I kind of think that you might have a you know, just hard and evil heart. That's how much I hate snakes. Okay, all right. No, I'm joking about you, not me. I hate snakes so much. Uh, if you ever want a really great story, Lincoln, people might come to you after this and ask you to tell the story. <laughs> but it's a story that in my home is legendary about snakes. I don't like them. I think they should all be killed. They're evil. Okay. Moving on. So in, this, in the desert, in the desert, there was this plague. The Israelites were complaining. They weren't doing their thing. They were, they were, they were actually doing their thing, complaining and, and grumbling and having problems. And uh, they were sinning against God. So God unleashed uh, a plague on them of snakes. Just like, it, it's like a mirror scenario of Egypt. He's treating, he's showing in this time that sin is sin. Sin is not national. Like, just they didn't get plagues in Egypt because they were Egyptian. They got plagues in Egypt because of their sin. The justice of God is universal. It's not, there's not favoritism when it comes to uh, allowing sin. So when they did the similar things that Egypt did, they had to uh, see that their sin was equally as egregious to God. So the snakes come. They start biting people. Oh! So God tells Moses, I want you to take a, a, some, uh, a bronze and I want you to hammer it into the shape of a serpent and I want you to lift this thing up in the center of the camp. Now, I, we have pictures of this is a, a, a symbol that we use for the medical community. I'm glad, you, I'm glad we have this context because otherwise it's like, what is with the snake on the ambulance? Don't get it. But we have this story. So, I always thought of it as like a staff size. But what I'm learning is that this was like a big thing, like up on a post, like so that you could see it from all areas of, the Jew, of, Israel, of Israel's camp, which was millions of people. So this is a big thing. It's not just a little thing. It's a big thing. So he puts it up, and anybody who gazed on, who, who, who put their faith in God by obeying his word to gaze upon this uh, serpent, would be healed of their wounds. If you didn't, you died. It was a turning, not towards us, uh, uh, an edifice, but turning towards God's commands again. And you know what they did? Some of them looked and were healed, and some of them didn't. 
And just like we do when something good happens to us, we put that thing on a pedestal. You know what happened after this story? They took that serpent and they made it into an idol. What? We're human, right? We're thick. So, so Jesus, so, so Jesus says, the Son of Man himself must be lifted up, and all who look trustingly to him will experience the eternal life of the kingdom. The cross, listen to this, the cross is the intersection where life and death almost pass that way on the path to eternal life. Jesus' death is the exact location where life can begin. N.T. Wright says it this way. The serpent is hardly an image of Jesus. Despite the serpent's parallel, that which was poisoning the people is displayed as a beaten foe. That's what the imagery was. Not, Jesus is not identifying with that serpent. He's identifying with the, the death of the thing that's killing us. Think about that. Just as for John, evil itself is judged, condemned, and defeated on the cross, this Lenten gaze on the ugly gallows at the uh, crossroads of history is a look that brings life. Lent calls believers to consider the depths of God's love for all people, displayed in a great sacrifice on his part to receive us to his own. Now let's move on in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now think about that Old Testament story as we go to 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Think about that as in parallel to the, the Old Testament story. These people were already dying, every single one of them. The poison was in them, right? They were already, they were condemned already. They were dying because of the poison of that serpent that bit them. And it was the gaze toward God that alleviated that suffering. Guys, the poison's already in us. We're condemned already by our sin, by the bite of that serpent, the devil. And it's only a gaze towards the cross of Christ, putting our faith in him, trusting in him, making him Lord and Savior. I always like putting the Lord part in front of the Savior part. I don't know why. Some people say Savior and Lord. I like putting Lord and Savior. You know why? Because that's the gaze. We're looking towards God as our Lord, and that is the point of salvation. He's our Savior and our Lord. The death of Jesus is a death for all humanity, not just a fortunate few. The concept, this, is, this extends to everybody on the planet. Again, Tozer puts it this way. See, if we get this, right, if we get this concept, we will see people. We'll just see people 
that are just like us, right? We'll just see people, ones who've been bitten, just like us, all over the world. Plain people, people of many different shades, people whose eyes slant differently from ours, people whose hair is not like our hair at all, people whose diets are not like ours, people with customs unlike our habits and very different from us. But we would just see people, people who have been bitten. Their differences are external. Their similarities are internal. Their differences would be customs and habits, and their likenesses would have to do with their nature. The human nature, Jesus Christ, came to rescue. God did not send his only son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. This was plan A. Remember, not plan B. This is plan A. We have already been bitten, and he is raising up the standard of Christ as a, as a sign of the defeat of the one who bit us for us to gaze upon. Lent requires us to consider not just our own relationship to the cross, but the rest of the world's relationship to it as well. We are called to see that God so loves the world. Every, every, in every one of my Bibles that I've, I've uh, journaled in, that so is circled. God didn't say God loved the world. God so loved the world. I think that so carries so much weight. What does it mean to so love somebody? It means I'm going to go the distance. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I so love you that I'm going to. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure you're okay, to make sure that that snake bite. You ever see that happen in like a movie or something like that? Somebody gets bitten by a snake. And what does the person have to do? That's disgusting. I think I'd be like, you know what, man? That's your problem. If you let yourself get bit, nothing I can do for you. <laughs> Suck the venom out. There's very few people that I so love that much. <laughs> God so loved you that he sucked the venom out. He so loved the world. Not just our families, friends, teammates, coworkers, those we love. He loves everyone. And the death of his son is an invitation for all who would believe. Just as we were invited into God's love, we should desire to see all saved and extend his loving invitation to others. So go, let's go back to the serpent metaphor for a second, okay? Back to that serpent metaphor, and let's pick up in verse 19. Think about that serpent metaphor and pick up in verse 19. This is the judgment. You see how it connects? It all connects. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. For anyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lo lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. There are some people who looked at the 
bronze serpent and other ones who just in there? Pride, their stubbornness just died in their sin. And that's the judgment. It's not a, listen, you can't, you're not going to avoid it. You can reject it. You can, you can, I don't know, think you can figure it out on your own all you want. That is the judgment. Some people are going to come. Other people are not. But I love this, this communication here in 19 through 21 about light. See, I see the cross in this metaphor as a spotlight, as a a beacon, as a lighthouse on a hill. Jesus didn't, like, hide it. He put it up there. It's not like he's trying to keep this a secret. And not only that, but he's asked us to shine light. Matthew 5, 14 says this. You are the light of the world. You, Joanne, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, Chris. Don't downplay your role in this. You are the light of the world. And in fact, all we are basically are just mirrors. You know, ever ever do that to somebody? Get a mirror and shine it in their eyes and annoy the heck out of them? I've never done that. Because I'm a nice person. But what it is, is that that light is not our own. We We don't make the light. We reflect the light. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and glorify you because you're so bright. That's why I say we're mirrors. Because in and of ourselves, we don't produce any light. We don't produce any light at all. But when we reflect the light of the cross, the beacon of hope, the lighthouse that is redemption through the person of Jesus, we become very shiny. But the light is only a reflection of the one who deserves the glory. So we let our light shine so that we see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. You know, there's a lot of people out there who will sit in the shadows because they feel like they're too evil to come into the light. Right? What does that, that passage say in John? The John uh, but anyone who lives the truth, oh no, uh, 20. For everyone who does not evil hates the light and avoids it. There's people who are going to sit in the shadows because they feel evil. Because they are evil. We all were. We were all bitten, right? So they're going to sit in the shadows. Because it's a convenient and a comfortable place without judgment. So their deeds may not be exposed. It's our job and shine the light of Christ. Because they're not going to come to the church. They're not going to come into the light on their own because they're ashamed, because they're like us who are ashamed and feel evil and feel unworthy because we are a shameful people 
evil and unworthy, but we came to the light, thank the Lord. Somebody took a mirror and reflected God's love on us, and we said, wow, I don't have to live with this poison in my system any longer. So we can sit in the lighthouse all day long. They're not coming to us. They're not coming to us. They're ashamed of the lighthouse. They're afraid of the lighthouse. They're afraid of the light. But when we go out into the shadows and we go, I want to direct this light right on you. I want you to see that it's not judgment. God did not come into this world. Look at this light, guys. I know you're ashamed. I know you want to come to it. I'm going to come to you with it. God didn't come into this world to condemn the world or to you, condemn you. He came so that you might be saved. And they're going to go, they're going to have two, two, they're going to have two different reactions. They're going to go, turn away from it, or they're going to come towards it. You can't control which reaction they give. Some people didn't look at the serpent in the wilderness, and they died in their sin. Some people looked and were healed. You can't control that. All you can do is to reflect the light of Christ into the shadows of this world and illuminate the darkness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not die from the poison of their sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And this is the mirror. God did not come to this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why does he not come to the world? Because the world is condemned already. This is the judgment. He's here to save us from that judgment. Bow your heads with me, will you please? I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're the one who's saying, like, man, I need to get out into the darkest places and shine the light. Or you're saying, this is, I don't know how I got into this lighthouse today, but I'm here and the light's shining on me and I need this. I need somebody to suck out the poison. I am dying here. I don't know where you are today. And it doesn't matter because this message is for both of us. So, God, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just extend your light and grace and mercy and love on us who are saying we are dying in this poison of sin and we don't know a way around it. We don't have a remedy in and of ourselves. We need you. I see that now. The light is shining brightly and I see it. So Lord, I'm turning towards the cross. I'm putting my faith and trust and love into a Lord who so loves me 